Good morning, church. How are you? We're wearing our t-shirts today because uh, the last time Tyler shot one with the t-shirt cannon, he almost put someone in the hospital. So we thought we might uh, just, and I'm joking when I say that, okay? Um, it did come out pretty, pretty hard, though. Um, we decided we'd wear them today and promote them. If you want a, one of a Grace Community Church t-shirts, you can get it at the uh, corner table in the lobby. Uh, I appreciate John's prayer. Sometimes, even if you've been at the faith walk for a very long time, things get confusing. Sometimes, even though our knowledge base has grown, and even though our experience in the faith walk has developed, it still can get confusing. And so the purpose of a message like today's is to remind us of some simple basic truths that honestly are life-changing. If you forget everything we've ever tried to instruct or teach you here in a service on Sunday, but you remember this, this will serve you well through the rest of your life. Today we're kicking off a series of messages, six parts, entitled The Greatest Hits of Jesus. Um, Jesus, a lot of people don't realize, was the backbone of the church for more than 300 years because for more than 300 years, they didn't have a Bible like we have. Uh, they relied on the person and work and the teaching ministry of Jesus from Nazareth. Now, a lot of people outside the church who consider themselves moral or spiritual, they live by certain laws or rules or uh, principles that, whether they know it or not, actually came from Jesus. Now, we're calling those his greatest hits, and we're going to cover one of those every Sunday for the next six weeks. When you study the Gospels, and there are four of them, I call them biographies because technically that's what they are, it doesn't take but a cursory reading to realize very early on that on one side you have Jesus, and on the other side you have the Pharisees. Jesus was at odds with the Pharisees throughout the reading of the Gospels. Jesus did not appreciate the religion of of the Pharisees. Now, that's not to say he didn't appreciate Judaism. It means that he didn't appreciate what the Pharisees, the religious supermen of the day, had turned Judaism into. On one side was Jesus, on the other was the Pharisees. And throughout the four biographies, it's Jesus against religion, or Jesus against tradition, or Jesus against legalism. Now, please hear me. There is not a thing in the world wrong with tradition or ritual or religion per se. But when you read the Gospels, it becomes very clear very quickly that what the, what the Pharisees had done with religion was something that Jesus was vehemently opposed to. And the same is true today. There are very religious churches out there, very religious people out there who may or may not truly know Jesus Christ. You could be a very religious person. You could be a person who lives by all the rules. You could be far moral, more moral than I am. You could be more, quote, spiritual than others. But the issue is not how moral are you, how many rules do you live by. The issue is whether or not you know Jesus and whether or not he knows you. Now listen, conversely, you can know Jesus and Jesus can know you. To use a biblical phrase, you could be born again. You're a child of the king, and yet your life can still be a little raggedy. 
They're still a little disheveled around the edges. There, there may be this, this ongoing thing that you continue to struggle and wrestle with. Now, what do we make of this? Wouldn't it be easier, and by the way, listen, this is what the Pharisees taught. Wouldn't it be easier if we all looked the same, if we all acted the same, if we all talked the same, if we all uh, prayed the same, if we all lived the same? Jesus on one side, the Pharisees on the other. You see, the church often makes one critical mistake, and some of you have come from churches like this. I've been a part in past years of churches like this. The mistake is that Christian obedience is the first step in the Christian life. Many churches, whether they come right out and say it or not, teach that the very first thing you do in the Christian life is start living like a Christian. Guess what? Jesus said the opposite. You see, that's why there are a lot of folks who will invite you to church. And I think everybody at every church in our community would say, hey, come as you are. But what happens when you come as you are? You don't fit in, do you? What happens if you bring your life with you? What happens if you bring some of that baggage into many of our churches? It isn't long before you're expected to change. 20 plus years ago when we started Grace, I didn't want this church to be like that. Because to me, that's a mistake. To me, that's not what Jesus taught. The result of that mistake is what we call legalism. The Pharisees' sin, the Pharisees' error in the eyes of Jesus Christ was their legalism. They believed they were making themselves righteous before God based upon the rules they chose to live by. So as a result, today, for many people, the Christian faith becomes rule-based. It's a rule-based religion. That's why a lot of people don't even want to become interested in Christianity because their understanding of Christianity, my faith, perhaps your faith, is a Pharisee understanding. It's a legalistic understanding. It's a rule-based understanding. You see, the Pharisees, every legalist, believes that the path to God is paved with rules, and yet Jesus told a very different story. That's why for many years I have gone out of my way to try and convince you that this is not a rule book. This is not the inspired, divinely revealed word of God that we might turn it into a long list of do's and don'ts. And I got to be honest with you, early on in my ministry career, even in spite of my education, even in spite, I think, of my intention, that's what I turned this into. It became a rule book. Everybody that came for pastoral counseling and sat down in my office, I felt like I needed to quote them a chapter and a verse. Oh, that's your problem? We need to go to Ephesians 4. Oh, that's your problem? We need to go to Galatians 6. Oh, that's your problem? I want you to read Philippians chapter 4. Oh, that's your problem? Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. The Bible was not protected, revered, inspired by God, our Creator, that we might turn it into a list of do's and don'ts. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. And that was one of the biggest problems that Jesus had with them. You see, whenever we turn the Bible into a rule book, we think we're doing so to make ourselves more like Christ. But I can speak from personal experience. The more I learned about this book, the more I began to understand about chapter and verse and right and wrong and this or that, it didn't make me more like Jesus. It made me more judgmental. 
I could size you up based upon Revelation chapter 4, and I could size your family up based upon Colossians chapter 3, and I could size your business up based upon 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the list went on and on. Jesus is on one side, and the Pharisees are on the other. And you need to understand, if you read the Gospels, Jesus' initial invitation is simply to follow him. Not to act like him, not to be like him, not to believe like him, but just to follow him. He invites us to follow him until it becomes personal and we start believing that he is indeed who he claimed to be. When we believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that his death on Friday was for my sin, his resurrection on Sunday was for me, proving himself powerful over sin, death, and the grave, the Bible says we're, quote, born again. When we're born again as believers, no longer just followers, but believers, we begin to apply his teaching, i.e., some of his rules, to our lives, and that's how we build lives of distinction and strength. So basically, it's three words. It's follow, believe, obey. Follow, believe, obey. I want you to keep your faith walk just this simple. If you've been confused because you were raised in a church where they emphasized baptism, or you've been confused because you were raised in a church where everybody had to, quote, ask Jesus into their heart, if you've been confused because you were raised in a church where it was about confirmation or if it was about taking the Lord's Supper, I want you to set that aside for a moment and I want using the words of Jesus himself to make it very, very simple. Follow, believe, obey. Using the last parable in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to show you just that. You see, religion, the Pharisees, Religion says, change and you can join us. Fix up your life and you'll fit in with us. Jesus said, no, you don't have to change to join us. If you join us, however, you will change. And there's a huge difference. Listen, church, God does not expect you to be perfect to follow Jesus. Listen to this. This may be confusing to some of you. God doesn't even expect you to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. You see, you can be both a sinner, even an unbeliever, and still follow Jesus. But what Jesus wants to have happen is for this process to unfold. You follow first, you believe second, and you obey third. You see, it's like weightlifting. It's one thing to know how to lift weights, like I, you know, I know the exercises and I, I know the reps and the routines, and I know the equipment. It's another thing to get around to lifting those weights, right? It's one thing to know about nutrition. It's another thing to eat healthy, right? Amy and I were laughing about this the other day. We've been married 27 years. And when we were first married, if you'd have come to our house and opened up our refrigerator, you'd have found probably a 12-pack of Diet Coke, some frozen pizzas maybe, Miss Paul's frozen fish sticks, uh, uh, all the components necessary to make a good grilled cheese, you know, uh, maybe a, a fried bologna and cheese sandwich. I mean, it, if you looked at it, you now, this is coming from someone who was an athlete all his life, who knows how to take care of his body, knows how to exercise, knows how to eat right. My wife graduated in all of that stuff. I mean, her degree is in health and science and well-being and nutrition and exercise, 
But knowing what to eat, knowing how to exercise, and actually doing it are two different things. Well, now stop and think about this, what we're doing now. Knowing this book, knowing, gaining the information, knowing what Jesus taught, memorizing chapter and verse, and actually getting around to doing it are two completely different things. Now, according to the four biographies, there are five sermons that Jesus gave publicly. There are five sermons. Like you get a sermon from from me every Sunday here at Grace. According to the Gospels, Jesus gave five. The first is called the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes these are referred to as discourses in your Bible or in your study material. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, these three chapters comprise his very first public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 10, there's a missions sermon where he sends out his 12 to share the story. In Matthew chapter 13, there's a sermon that's comprised of nothing more than parables. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a sermon on the church. And in Matthew 23, 24, and 25, there's an end time sermon that is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Now, the very first sermon Jesus gave out of the five is the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, if you'll turn three pages back and look at the very first verse of Matthew chapter 5, Matthew writes, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountainside and sat down. The mountainside, hence the Sermon on the Mount. That's where the the title originates. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now what follows in the next three chapters is a sermon, is a message. It is comprised of teaching. It's comprised of parables. It's filled with great information. In fact, from this one sermon comes several of what I would call Jesus' greatest hits. For instance, in chapter 5 and verse 3, we're introduced to the Beatitudes. You've heard of the Beatitudes? Well, that itself could have been called a greatest hit of Jesus. Uh, It's in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivers that salt-of-the-earth passage, whereby God expects his followers to live lives that are distinct from their culture. It's also in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus answers the question, Who is righteous? Much of what you read in the Sermon on the Mount is directed at the Pharisees to remind them they're not as righteous as they think they are, no matter how many rules they live by. Who is righteous? Another greatest hit. There's the narrow and the wide gates. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge one another. You've heard of that. Do not judge one another. That's a greatest hit in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, seek, and knock. There's another famous passage. The model prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to cover that one next time. And then the one I've chosen to kick off our study as the greatest hit, number one, is actually the last greatest hit contained in the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the House on the Rock. Now, the response to this message was powerful. In fact, if you look at the last two verses of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, when Jesus has finished this sermon, here's what Matthew writes. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He had a profound impact on his listeners that day. Now, I need to say how much I appreciate those of you that shoot me the text messages or or send emails to the church or talk to me in town and say, hey, I appreciate what you said Sunday or I appreciate that message. That makes me feel good. That's very encouraging. But in 30 years of delivering messages on Sundays, I've never heard one person say, I was amazed. Never heard one person. That's my goal. One day before I die, 
somebody's just going to fall out right in the floor. Amazing! Hadn't happened yet. Probably won't because he's Jesus and I'm not. Okay? Look at the last verse. Because what Jesus taught, he said it as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So again, you got Jesus on one side, you got the Pharisees on the other. The crowd is used to hearing the Pharisees teach. They're used to that phony, Pharisaic righteousness that leads to legalism. Many of them had based their hopes in ever seeing God on them, mistakenly. And now you've got Jesus, and they're blown away because he's teaching, but he's not anything like the teachers they're used to. Now, to conclude this first sermon, Jesus tells his audience, now you've got to decide because you only have two options. Now, because of what I've just told you in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have to make a choice. You only have two options. It's like building your life on one of two very different foundations. One foundation is like a big, sturdy, stable rock. The other foundation is like shifting sand. And how your life holds up to the storms that will confront it depends upon which foundation you choose. So you've got the rock foundation, which is represented by Christ and all of his teaching. Then you've also got the phony Pharisee righteousness and their teaching. Now, I want to read this closing parable. This is his conclusion to his message, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, he says, now stop for a minute. That's like saying, in light of everything I've said thus far, in chapters 5, 6, and seven. Therefore, in light of new information, because again, Jesus' teaching was strikingly different from that of the Pharisees. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's where it all begins. It begins by hearing the principles of God. It begins by exposure to the words of Christ. That's where our building process begins. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Pause, stop, underline that at least in your mind, if not in your Bible. That's the secret. Don't stop at hearing. Put them into practice. Act on what you've learned. Along comes Jesus' half-brother, James, in his epistle in the back of your New Testament, and he says it this way. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you hear it and then you put it into practice, it's your obedience to Christ that makes all the practical difference in the outcome of your life. He goes on. That person is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. He has identified the first foundation, the rock, as opposed to the sand we'll get to in a moment. Remember, Jesus is talking about the very foundation of your life. He's talking about the principles that will guide your marriage. He's talking about the philosophy that will dominate your home and family. He's talking about the foundation upon which you build every individual part of your life. If you hear what I say, you act on them, you'll build that life on a rock. Verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house. Okay, do I need to remind anybody that life can be terribly difficult? 
Jesus is using winds and rains, the storms in life, to demonstrate the trials and tribulations that we're all going to face again. Jesus' own half-brother James, in his epistle, James chapter 1, says, It should not surprise you whenever you face trials of many kinds, because our lives are sprinkled throughout, the Greek language says, polka-dotted from beginning to end, the Greek language says, with trials, difficulties, suffering, and storms. So, the rains come, they beat against that house, yet the house doesn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But, in contrast, not only a contrast between the Pharisees and their legalism to Jesus Christ and his freedom, but a contrast between what they teach and what Jesus teaches, but a contrast between their philosophy on life building versus his philosophy on life building. But in contrast, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Now stop for a minute. This is a person that finds the words interesting. This is a person who finds these words curious. This is a person who might have even jotted some of it down. But while they heard it, they never acted on it. They're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand in contrast to the rock. Verse 27, the same storms in life. The rains come down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So in contrast to a stable house built upon what I hear, acting on that new information and building a life that's secure, solid, and stable. Conversely, and every carpenter knows the value of a strong foundation, you've got someone who heard, while they may have found it appealing, while they may have even seen it as interesting, they never acted on what they heard, therefore they never built their house on the rock, they built it instead on the sand. And when the winds came and the storms rose and beat against every part of that house because that's what life will do. Life will beat on your marriage for a while. And life will beat on your finances for a while. And life will beat on your health for a while. And life will beat on your family, your work, your career, your education. Every individual part of your life, life has a way of attacking. And when those storms beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. Now, Here's what I want you to see, and this is how I want to try and simplify your faith walk. What Jesus is describing here is a process. It's not a snapshot in time. It's not a, I went to church, what he said made sense, and I, quote, made a decision. It's a process that takes time. This, as I will describe it, using the words and illustration of Jesus... This is how a person, a sinner, enters into a right relationship with God Almighty. You see, we use terminology like saved, salvation. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. You need to be baptized. You need to be confirmed. We use religious terminology to describe something that happens between God and man. Okay, Much like the Pharisees did. But Jesus focused on those three words I gave you a minute ago. The process looks like this. Follow first, because if you're following, you're driven by curiosity. 
You don't have to believe yet. If you follow somebody on Facebook or follow somebody on Twitter, you don't necessarily have to buy into their life philosophy, do you? You're just interested in what they're doing. You're interested in what they have to say. Jesus invited the crowds, come follow me. Listen, there are people in this service right now and in churches all across the world like it who are followers of Jesus, but they've never bought in. The only reason they're here is because they're interested in what the Bible, what the church, what Jesus can offer them. You see, that's why in so many of our churches, interest is high, but commitment is low. See? Attendance is high, but service is low. Involvement is high, but giving is low. You see? Because there are a whole lot of followers in our churches that are driven by curiosity. There are people who come to church because their life has fallen with a great crash. And they know, well, that plan didn't work. Let's try another. And so curiosity brings them to the doors of their church. They're followers of Christ. But Jesus doesn't want you to stop there. Jesus wants you to step across that line of skepticism, to step across that line of surrender, to step across that line of faith and become a believer. You see, when you believe, unlike when you follow, it's more than interest. It's more than I'm curious. There's, there's faith involved. It's now about relationship. I will never, ever forget my time in college when my prayer life became relational. I had learned how to pray in a very religious way growing up in church, like many of you. But something happened in my personal faith walk in my college years when God became more than creator and more than sovereign judge. He became my heavenly father. And when I started praying then, I prayed as if I spoke to my father. When, especially men, but when people are in my office and we're talking about something, I say, have you prayed about this? And they say something like, I'm just not real comfortable praying. I always ask them, how do you pray? And, and I just don't know what to say. See, their expectation is they need to pray maybe like I pray. Or they need to pray like someone they've heard pray. Or their mom prayed or dad prayed. I always tell them, speak to your creator as your father because that's what he is. When you step across that line from following to believing, it's no longer about simple interest. Yeah, plug me in. That sounds good. And if I can make it, I'll be there. It's not that, about that anymore. Now it's about relationship. It's about commitment. It's about faith. And then the final step is obedience. Follow, believe, obey. Obedience is driven by devotion. Now we're talking about surrender. Now we're talking about spiritual maturity and depth. Now we're talking about, you know what? I've gone my way on other occasions against the path of God, and I've seen where that takes me. I've seen where that leads me. So out of loyalty, out of devotion, out of reverence for my Father, I'm not only a believer, I'm obedient as well. Now watch this very carefully, and this is what I want you to see. You can follow and not believe. You can come to church every Sunday. You can take home the program notes every week. You can stay in tune with what we teach and what I share every Sunday and still not believe. Watch this. You can believe and not obey. You can buy in at some point, okay, 
Jesus is indeed Lord, boss in my life. Jesus indeed is the answer to all of the big questions in my life. Jesus indeed is my Lord and Savior. The Bible would call you born in, born again. You're no longer a follower. You've bought in. You're a believer. But guess what? You can believe and not obey. That's why there are people in the church who believe who are as solid in their faith as I'll ever be, and yet their lives are disheveled. They're coming unraveled at the edges. Their marriage is falling apart. They believe they simply don't obey. How many times have I had a conversation with a couple in my office on a Thursday? And the advice, the counsel, the prayer is very simple. Look, you having problems? Let's stop doing this. Let's start doing that. And I get a phone call Sunday night. It's all blown up. She's gone home to mom, or he's taken the kids and disappeared. I ask him the following week, well, did you do what we talked about? Did you stop doing this and start doing that? Well, no. No, that's so hard, man. Of course it's hard. That's why it's easiest to follow. But once you believe, that still doesn't mean you have to obey. But if you obey, get this, you don't have to do either. See, that's the Pharisee. That's the legalist. I can live by the rules and not be interested in following Christ and certainly not believe in him. I can believe in personal morality. I can believe in personal spirituality. So I can follow but not believe. I can believe and not obey. I can obey without either one. The point is, when we talk about salvation in the New Testament... We're talking about the whole process. We're talking about all three. We're talking about moving from one place to the next, but not stopping there, moving from that place to the next. So I end with a simple question. Where are you? Where are you in those three? Are you a follower? Look, if it's convenient, we'll be there on Sunday because I'm kind of interested in what you have to say over the next few weeks. Well, good for you. Or are you a believer? Have you bought in? Have you invested your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ? And if you are, are you willing to act on what you know? Are you a follower, a believer, or are you obedient? That's my question. Let me ask you something. Where are you in your marriage? Where are you? Where are you in your hope? Where are you in your finances? Where are you in your family, your work? your relationships, where are you? If you are a follower, you know what you should do? You should make it personal. You should buy in. You should become a believer. If you are a believer, are you applying solid biblical principles to your everyday life? Does God govern your time? Does he govern your checkbook? Does God govern your conversation? Does God govern your marriage? And if you are obedient, if to the best of your ability, when you see what God is asking, you try and reorient your life to him, what you're doing is you're building a life that's built upon the rock and with, can withstand everything that life's going to throw at it. Listen, bank on it. Don't be discouraged. Bank on it. You don't have my word on it. You have the word of Christ himself. Followers, believers, and the obedient. Where are you? Where else can you go but church? whereby somebody will program four to five minutes of reflection into your time to give you an opportunity to make a decision 
that can impact the rest of your life. That's how we're going to end the service today. I'm going to give one of those invitations. Be a sit-in-your-seat invitation if you'd like it to be. It'll be a come-forward invitation if you'd like. I'll be down front. Jonathan's back there. He can pray with you. If you'd, uh, John's over there. If you'd like one of us to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. If not, maybe you just want to come and, and pray and kneel by yourself. But what I'm asking you to do is figure out where you are and figure out what you need to do. All right? After I pray, we're going to play some music. I'll ask you to stand, and the time will be yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it so clear. We really only have two options in this life. We can build on the rock or we can build in the sand. Father, help us recognize our position now, personally, individually, with no concern for anyone else, not comparing ourselves to anyone else, but simply examining our own will and intention. Are we followers? Do we truly believe and do we obey? I pray these things with faith in your risen son, Jesus. Would you stand, please? We'll play some music. This time is yours. God bless you. You come forward if you'd like or stay at your seat. That's up to you. God bless you.